Trust but validate. Trust but verify? Yeah. It's a Reagan thing, right? I'm that old. I think it's a it was a towards the uh, other half of the Cold War, right? Trust but verify. Yeah. Welcome to the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. This week, we're talking about TLS and the tools you should be using to secure data in transit. We're joined again by our friend, Darren Fallis. Hello. Welcome back, Darren. Thank you. It's nice to be invited back. I'm honored. Glad to have you, Darren. Yeah, welcome. So I wanted to talk a little today about kind of best practices in modern TLS. The You, you came on a while ago when we talked about a bunch of different things, including SSH keys and the kind of the modern security practices there. But I wanted to focus a little more deeply on what the landscape for modern TLS looks like. Well, um, like you said, you wanted to talk a little about TLS. It's hard to talk a little about TLS. There's so much. It's a wide field. Um, modern TLS is TLS 1.3. Uh, I think the RC was pushed out in 2018. But in fact, the state of play is that a lot of people aren't even supporting TLS 1.2 yet across I the I just interwebs. upgraded our AWS stuff to, to require TLS 1.2. Yeah, exactly. And are you still supporting 1.1? We've changed policies to require 1.2 or better. Good. So modern or even not so modern devices support 1.2. I think it came out in 2000. Oh, God, I don't know. Yeah, one two's old, years. isn't it? Right? Oh, it is. It's very old. Um, so even older Android phones will still support 1.2 in general. Um, so there shouldn't generally be, with commodity consumer devices, a reason to have to support 1.1. So that's a first step on getting to modern TLS. So but I guess so wait, 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 wait just a moment. Um, yeah. What what is the big set of changes that came in one two and one three that people care about? Like, I know that security is an ever an ever changing and ever present thing. But what it, what happened in the one two spec or in the one three spec that needed to be updated? So SSL started at like one two three. TLS 1.0, which was sort of rebranded SSL 3, and then the 1.1. And every step of that was usually, oh, that's a little weak. Make this slight improvement. Oh, let's add some better ciphers. Oops, those are bad. Take those out. And they did that over and over again. And that's somewhat simplistic. 1.2 just does another layer of that. Oh, let's eliminate some of the vulnerabilities that we found in 1.0 and 1.1 and give you even more options for ciphers and make it even more complex to configure. And one two brings all the AES ciphers, doesn't it? It I believe I don't I can't say that AES wasn't in one. I'd have to go look. Um it does bring uh the ephemeral uh, Diffie Hellman. Actually I don't know that that's a one two thing either. I'd have to go look. It, it is a lot. Like I have a spreadsheet up with cipher lists, it has like 10 tabs and thousands of rows and 20 columns with various different um, criteria to help me go through cipher suites. Uh, it, it's 
It's kind of crazy. Yes, yeah, so we could three. talk cipher streets for how long to make ourselves sound smart. Oh my god. Well, but the thing is, one three is a different beast. They didn't slightly improve. They said, "Wait a minute, it's gotten crazy. We need to kiss. Keep it simple, stupid." And they eliminated a ton of things out of it. And they've really taken most of the knobs that we humans need away and said, no, no, can't do bad things. Here are the four or five cipher suites that are okay. We're not going to have any RSA keys. It's just going to be Diffie-Hellman. You are eliminating all of these weird downgrade attacks and picks and whatnot. Just taking all that out. And if you've looked at the config for TLS 1.3 for Apache... It's relatively simple. Um, and, and Ken, that's why, you know, how do we get to less pain with TLS? You move to <laughs> 1.3. I don't say no, just less. So TLS 1.2, your question, Brendan, was what's the difference between the 1.2, 1.3, 1.1, et cetera? Yeah. What, what, what are the big big reasons that people should move forward? Yeah, and the big reason is everything prior to one two has some vulnerabilities that are not patched, so no one should use it. Period. You don't have to use one three yet, but you should. Um, you may have some issues where it's not supported on some of your server side stuff yet. Um, you may have some issues where some of your clients aren't supporting one three yet. And those are reasons why 1.2 is still supported. It's not outlawed like 1.1, but it's um, but you do have to configure it securely. There are a raft of options with TLS 1.2 just for Cypher Suites, but there's only a few you can even use anymore and be secure. No CVC, no RSA signing you have to use Diffie-Hellman and you really need to use the elliptical curve ephemeral Diffie-Hellman so it's going to be ECDHE at the beginning of that cipher suite um, RSA keys are still fine but they should be 2048 bits no CBC so you have to use the GCM the Galois counter mode um, stream cipher you can still use AES128 or 256 and the HMAC algorithm can be SHA-256, SHA-2384, either one, I think. But that doesn't leave you with many combinations. There's just five? I'd have to go back and look. Um, and the the choice of those depends on what server software you're using. Um, like Apache uses OpenSSL underneath. Um, but various things have their own crypto libraries built in. Um, Mozilla has a good SSL configurator um, web page that will give you cookie-cutter configs for all of the major web server, um, and that will help you on web servers. For configuring TLS on non-web servers, so um, uh, there are a lot of other things that use TLS. You'll have to interpret those settings. Um, and the thing that I think Mozilla leaves out is the choice of curves because that's a configuration for OpenSSL. There are only a few curves that are sort of still rated okay 
Um, I generally th- and well supported. So that's Prime 256v1, Sec P384R1, maybe Sec 521R1, but some things don't support it, and the new Twisted Edwards curves, which I know, Jack, I've heard you talk about. And all the all the major SSL libraries, or yeah, SSL, because that's the old way of doing it, all those libraries still support all of this, right? So LibreSSL Libre and OpenSSL and all of the, yeah. the big ones now do 1.3. They do all right? the good stuff. Good. Yeah, The I think, what is the... Uh, Somebody has the boring SSL. Um, Google's doing one. It's simpler. I'd have to look up. But yeah. So yeah, everything that's modern supports all this good stuff. Um, So you should be able to configure at least TLS 1.2 and the ECDHE GCM um, ciphers that, cipher suites that, that are specced by that Mozilla site. And we'll link in the show notes, right, Brennan? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that Mozilla site would be handy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Mozilla SSL configurator is a great site. Um, there used to be another site, like a cipherlid.st, and I think it's gone. The guy who was con- maintaining it gave up. So if it's T- TLS 1.2, you still have some work to do. If it's TLS 1.3, much less. Um, but that's just for the cipher suite, what I was talking about. There are a couple of other things that you should do with TLS, like the CAA records. One of the issues that if you look at a browser and look at the trusted certificate authorities, I'm waving my hands at this huge list in front of me. We trust (laughs) cipher. Well, you don't have the cameras on. Um, There's this huge list of trusted CAs, which includes China and a number of other places. I mean, places where governments can perhaps... um, force ACA to give them a the keys like you know the US if you're the NSA so some people may not trust us any one of those CAs can trust or can generate a certificate for your domain that any web browser with those CAs will say yep that looks good but you at your company are only using verisign or in common or not in common but uh, Psych2Go or one of the others you can update your DNS for your domain with a new resource record called CAA, and it's the authorized certificate authorities for your domain. And then when clients who are compliant look up your domain, they will go get that and say, all right, it's here are the two that are certified. And when they get a server certificate from whatever they end up talking to, which hopefully is your server, it will be signed by probably one of this root CAs that's in their list of 200. But if it's not one of the two they got from your DNS, they won't accept it. So you should do CAA. DNS really is a solution for everything. So I'm, I'm a little slow. I thought OCSP stapling was a form uh, of that, but that, apparently not. Different issue. Okay. Different issue. So... Uh, one of the things I put in the, the Google Doc was the myth of revocation. The idea being, back in the day, certificates had a CRL, a certificate revocation list, which is just a link to a website with a giant file of all of the revoked certificates from that CA. Yeah, I remember updating those, yeah. Did uh, anything ever, actually ever check those lists? Well, no. No. Yeah, I've always considered that slightly waste of time. It generally no, because it's laborious, 
um, time-consuming, and uh, full of problems. What if you can't get to the server? What do you do? Everyone decided, well, we'll just work anyway. Um, There were ways to get updates to the CRLs, but eh. So they came up with something more lightweight, OCSP, the Online Certificate Status Protocol, I believe. That Um, sounds right. And that's an API call to say, hey, URL that was advertised in this root CA, is this certificate by this subject ID, etc., revoked? Awesome. Everything's great, right? Nope. That still takes time on top of every initiation of a TLS session, and plenty of clients are on networks where they can't reach the OCSP server, or it could be down, or slow, or dosed. And so... Not many and things. Down and slower, essentially the same. Yeah, and so, you know that. How many seconds does that add to a web page load? No, not happening. So I don't even think you can turn that option on in a lot of browsers to even do it. It used to be a flag; they just ignore it. But a solution on top of that is, as you mentioned, OCSP, OCSP stapling, where the server gets goes out and gets does an OCSP check on itself at the CA. The CA signs the response with a the date and expiration. The server saves it and then as part of the TLS negotiation between the client and the server, the server provides not only a certificate but the OCSP statement that's signed by the CA. The client can verify the server certificate by looking up its chain. And it can also verify the OCSP response that it's recent, not expired, and is also valid. So this is in a way, it, it lets the the presenter of the certificate validate that the CA has said this is good. It doesn't solve for it, a CA that's, lets CA the, that's been compromised, but no, it lets you... It, it lets the client verify that the CA has not revoked the server certificate. The certificate itself and its chain of signatures is what the client uses to verify that the certificate is valid. Yes. But then the client... One of the reasons I hate talking about security sometimes is that the the language is very specific, and if you yep. if you misphrase something, you're wrong. Uh, or It's wrong. It's yeah. not a personal thing. It's just hard to understand, and I have to say it in the right order to make sure... I'm thinking about it right, and then I'm communicating it right. I'm not trying to correct anybody per se. Pardon me. Sorry. No, no, no. It's 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 a good thing to do. Um, and to the best of my ability, I am not the end-all, be-all. I may very well have made some misstatements. I hope not, but do not be afraid to check the things that I have said. There are definitely people more expert in this than I. So, yeah. OCSP stapling is great, and all servers should support it, and most don't. So clients should demand it, and they don't. So what's the point? <laughs> and that's not part of TLS 1312, etc. That is, that is a clients have to decide to require it, and currently they aren't. And until we get to a critical mass where all the major sites that people want to go to are supporting stapling, Browser manufacturers like Chrome and Safari are not going to require it. And clients are just more than browsers. You're talking all the API requests and 
secure communications Slack, we do with the internet. Right. Every mobile tool. app, you name it. So getting all the clients or majority of them to support a specific feature is a lot of heavy lifting. It, it is because there's a browser, CA browser forum where they discuss some of these things um, and they have to sort of agree. Or you have some people like Apple just saying, nope, we're not going to accept certificates that are longer than this expiration time. Thanks, One year, Apple. I think 13. <laughs> and just they're just going to force the world to use shorter certificates. Yeah, that, was, that was amusing when Apple did that, what, a year and a half ago? They said, mm-hmm. essentially, yeah. the next major release of Safari, the if a certificate is valid for more than 13 months, it is not a valid certificate anymore for us. We will not accept it, and you know, it won't, won't show the lock icon and everything else. Because and no one with an iPhone can see your site. Uh-huh. And if it was just the Mac, it'd be one thing, but it's, yeah, it's all, it's, uh, all yeah, of that. It's all the iPhones and iPads. It, it, that should be a more agreed-upon solution. I think Apple was tired of waiting. Says that's it. We're doing it. Chrome could functionally do the same thing. And in fact, they are as well doing some things. Like they made the change to require subject alternate names, I believe, in certs, and said, yep, once past this Chrome version, if your cert doesn't have an SAN, we're going to deny it. So we are seeing change-driven by the makers of the clients, because so much of TLS's security model is based on clients doing verification. Clients doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Like obeying HTTPS strict transport security, which is, by the way, another thing you need to do in your in your overall uh, web server configuration is CAA, HTTP strict transport security, OCSP stapling, picking the right ciphers choosing the right curves in your um, OpenSSL config or in your web server config. And then you can talk about sessions and how long sessions are, are uh, live, which means session keys can be reused in TLS 1.2 or pre-shared keys can be reused in um, TLS 1.3, but you want to set a lifetime on that. I think the RFC is 24 hours. Some people rotate them or basically set a lifetime on the session to shorter than that, like one hour. And that's about a client not having to renegotiate the complete exchange and key generation every time it makes another HTTPS request to the same server. Is it, it still considered a good practice to use things like Let's Encrypt to do faster key rotation for um, TLS certificates? So the issue of rotating keys or rotating certificates is sort of a reaction in some for some folks to the myth of revocation. So if we can't be sure that revoking a certificate is actually going to have any effect whatsoever, then we'll just make the lifetime of our certificate a month. That doesn't mean you have to rotate the key. It means you rotate the certificate. Um, you can rotate both at the same time. The point being that if someone compromises the server and the private keys, then within a month, that compromise cert will be expired anyway. And, of course, the key would be rotated at that point. Mm-hmm. So I joked recently at my workplace that, oh, well, you know, since we're doing this one-year thing because of Apple, why don't we just make it 14 days? That will encourage everyone to in- do orchestration automation. Operationally, one of the most (laughs) painful parts of dealing with some of these things is if you don't 
have a good practice in terms of, of rotating your, your certificates correctly. It means that it doesn't get exercised much. You don't get back to it very mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. It's a fragile process then, yeah. and that's when you're going to have folks get scared to do it because, well, if I take it, if I do this and I break the site, then everything's broken, and I'll just put it off. But if you have it be either auto- completely automated or you do it frequently, then you've exercised those muscles and the institutional knowledge of how to do it is present and everybody can do it. So anybody can do it. And so it actually happens. Yeah. Uh, and and that was the joke behind the 14-day thing that I was talking about, is that if you have to do something absurdly short like that, and I think Google is rotating theirs every month, um, then that forces you to bite the bullet, pull on the big boy pants, and automate. Um, Let's Encrypt was always going to be fully automated, so they had to invent, with some standardization, uh, a protocol for doing that. The old one that we had a long time ago was from Cisco. I think it was the Simple Certificate Enrollment Protocol, SCEP, that kind of died. Uh, Acme is the new one, automated or Automatic Certificate Management Environment, I believe. And that's what Let's Encrypt uses. But other CAs are beginning to support it. Uh, I believe Sectigo, the one that we're using in my, my work, is actually supporting Acme, and we're enabling it and going to start working with our main web server group to, to see if they can automate uh, signing and, and rotation using that. So your question was, like, is, that the, is it still okay or is that the best advice to go use Let's Encrypt and rotate certs? Yes, it doesn't have to be Let's Encrypt. There are other CAs that are beginning to support it. But automation is extremely good. Well, as we have practical in the title, yeah, automation is the only way to do it. With As you start spreading out and scaling and signing up more sites that you need search for, you can't do it manually or you end up forgetting that this one has to be changed at this date. And oh, we missed that and now nobody can get to our site. And you look out on the public web on Down Detector, and you'll find that still happens. Major website drops off the net, the net for eight hours because the yeah. cert expired. Still happening. Well, th- th- those of us f- from this uh, podcast will all work together at a site at a place that major international destination. And with my first week, that happened to them. It was just dis. Just forgot somebody forgot to update a cert, and that's why automation is good. At least if it fails, it fails consistently and in the same manner. Humans, we frail humans, fail randomly. So, yeah, I would definitely encourage automation of your certificate um, signing and rotation. And um, it doesn't mean you have to go do once a month, like uh, uh, maybe Google. I'd have to look that up. But doing it automatically is good. And if you're doing lots of servers which are bouncing up and down a lot, um, you know, we created this domain, we created this, and it's gone two months later, one-month certificates are fine. And you you buy a license for a cert from the CA, and I think you you get, you know, a certain period. You can reissue it within that period with changing dates and keys. With I don't know that there's a limit usually. Yeah, I, I like Less Encrypt for smaller projects in part because it was free and mm-hmm. they had a, a, a pretty solid security stance. So that was always 
when people asked me what to do because I mean back in the old days I think all of us can remember paying money for and it was not insignificant of money for a single certificate and you were like okay well I want to get it for three years to make it valid for as long as possible because Mm -hmm. you know I mean when you're paying $200 for a certificate you you want it to last especially for like a personal project site so when folks ask I always point them now at Let's Encrypt and I'm glad that that's still the the right place to be yeah for you know small projects home projects collaborative stuff i think it's great uh it means that people who weren't using tls or HTTPS can at no cost um and for people who need to automate at scale it's there originally i think it was the only one supporting acme and i think they sort of invented it um but i don't know that major huge websites are necessarily going to be using let's encrypt think they want someone who is has a little more guarantees on their validity Hmm. there is some concern i've heard voiced that using let's encrypt puts perhaps one at an availability um, risk if some important client decides that let's encrypt is dangerous and we're not going to allow it i don't know of anyone who's doing that but still something to think about or if Let's Encrypt disappears, you've got new 14 days until your site's down. Yeah. And of course, if you've already automated, which you have if you're doing Let's Encrypt, and you can easily move to another registrar, or CA rather, then hey, flip the switch and you're getting all your certs from GoDaddy. And I'm generally not a fan of prescriptive monitoring, but this is one of those cases that if you're not monitoring the validity of your TLS certificates and when they expire and getting oh, alerts... Yeah. Um, you need to do it. We had mentioned a minute ago that you know there are high-profile sites that have outages. I think Spotify was down the other week mm-hmm. for four or five hours. Like the whole service was down because somebody hadn't rolled the key properly or hadn't rolled their certificate properly. And it happens to everyone. So mm-hmm. don't let that happen to you. Yeah, I think we have a service internal to our organization that monitors websites um, for SSL but you have to go set it up. It's not automatic. Are you using any sort of service to do that, Brendan? Or do you roll your own? Um, my current work environment has a an internal set of checks that notifies people whenever any endpoint has is, uh, presents a, a certificate that is expiring within a certain period of time. Hmm. And so it, it raises a, a thing. And then at a certain interval, it becomes a pay-to-duty event to say, hey, somebody go fix this right now. So, and did you have to write something to do it? I'm not sure how that is implemented internally. That was not I was not part of that um, that design decision. I haven't looked. I'm unaware of any particular monitoring service that provides that for a particular domain. I'm certainly there's someone who does, but I haven't even looked. Um, I, I'm pretty sure like Datadog and Sensu and kind of the, the big distributed monitoring platform mm-hmm. that you can pay. Yeah, as any you go. SaaS monitoring platform will provide that service. I would hope so. The yeah. problem is not finding that service or building that service in my experience at least the problem is you've got microservices and websites and load balancers everywhere and you're monitoring a bunch of them and you think you're monitoring all of them except that one oops and so being able to to monitor everything um, has usually been the been the cause of some of these very large outages at, at big public companies yeah, getting 100% coverage is hard. 
if it's all coming out of your config management system, awesome. But there are often just one other component that one person has to go touch, and that's the one that isn't automated, and so it doesn't get updated. Or at large corporations, you know, they, they've acquired somebody, and mm. they integrated all of the pieces of that company except for these three services. Sure. And then those three get forgotten about because they're not critical path, but they're really hard to automate or to integrate, and then now they're not automated, and they're the ones that fail. There's this one service you didn't add to the list of, of TLS checks that we do. It's a really simple mistake with profound consequences. Well, and probably mostly we're thinking about the public services, but most corporations run far more TLS servers internally to the network than externally. And they're no less important for their internal security to have those up to date. And often those are the places it's lacking because they're using some sort of um, appliance or a turnkey solution from somewhere else. And that vendor isn't, hasn't cranked the security level up on their TLS yet. And it's one of the things I appreciate about using AWS and their load balancers and ACM is being able to set the TLS security policy and be able to hand over key rotation certificate renewal as a service. Yeah, I would actually say, um, again, back to Ken, your question about pain, that's <laughs> another way to have less pain is to make it, uh, you just cast a SCP field over it and it's now someone else's problem. So, yeah, if you're using someone else's HTTPS offload, like um, Elastic, the application load balancers, uh, ALBs, I'm trying to remember which yeah, version. ALBs, they... ELBs, yeah, ALBs, NLBs, they all do it to some degree. They, they all do it to some degree. Then it's less of your problem, perhaps none. And I've set up in custom applications, custom applications of a load balancer, you know, we terminate a, a TLS here, and we manage TLS here, and then we have TLS apply to all of the underlying applications because you use the load balancer, you're in. But that doesn't solve the security issues with making sure your backend network is secure. That's right. And it, it gets called HTTPS or, or TLS offload in some places with the old idea that you do TLS up to the load balancer and then you don't have to encrypt on the backend. But that is absolutely not a best practice at this point. Yeah, Snowden demonstrated means, that to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, so Snowden. So you're still rolling all of your TLS in the back end, it's just not customer visible. And that's where this gets hard and challenging and why we're having this conversation. And, and sometimes, especially if it's an audit from an external um, and that you have to pass, and so your TLS has to be up to snuff, but you have part of your service deployed on an old version of WebLogic or whoever, whatever it may be, that hasn't been patched yet or hasn't been upgraded, it can't be, we can't turn these settings on, fine. The load balancer in front of it that's exposed to the internet, it's got a compliant version of TLS 1.2.1.3. And then you're doing TLS on the back end, but it may yet still be 1.1 with some weaker ciphers to back to your server. But that's a much lower risk and and isn't what the customers are experiencing, so it still passes the audit. Yay, self-signed CAs. I mean, that's not cheating. That's a patching, sort of virtual patching, the part that's exposed to the internet where it's extremely risky, and then doing the best you can on the back end with the products as they are. That's the reality of it. Brendan, do you know if Kubernetes has a uh, CA TLS 
issuing service that you can use via API to handle some of the automation for this? So some smart folks that I know believe very strongly in Istio, I think is how you pronounce it, as a way to handle a bunch of that backend mess. I'm not certain that that actually does the MTLS um, keys and certificate uh, issuing. I'll have to check that. Give me just a second. Don't take what we say for fact. Look it up. As we say at work, you know, it's not a black box. We don't have to wonder about that. We have Google. Yes. And Wikipedia. I want to see you be able to solve a problem, not just that you can memorize a bunch of stuff. So Istio does do MTLS um, as a service. So it can hand out mutual TLS um, Mm -hmm. infrastructure to microservices, to pods, to ingress controllers, to all of those things. So you can have a centralized place to configure and understand and um, inspect and audit and pass whatever or point point auditors at to validate that you are internally encrypting things and you can use MTLS to kind of gate access from one system to another. You can say, even though we're already doing other other mitigations, the only thing that can talk to the database server is this particular pool of app servers or whatever it is you're trying to do today. And you can use MTLS to help ensure that the database server's connections it only allows in traffic from specific other endpoints. And having the automation in place, so you you launch your pod, your pod requests a signed key or a CRL, whatever the right numbers are. CSR. CSR. There we go, Darren. Thank you. Uh, and be able to use that issued certificate, I think is really sort of where the bleeding edge is on this because that's, that's the challenge that I've always had with with doing TLS internally is finding a way to automate it so we don't end up spending our entire lives on it. Well, we, yeah, when I we've spoke all, of, well, go ahead, Ken. I was just saying we've all been in the organizations that you you know we've now automated all the stuff. We bring these machines up and down with Terraform. They're ephemeral. We don't. They're automatically configured. But this part of it has always been the real pain point: is how do you get certificates to them they are extremely sensitive to be secure yet you've got to roll them out and get them all over the place and they have to be secure and they have to be validated and all and it's you know the one thing you keep hearing over and over in this is is it takes a lot of configuration to get it just right and get it out there and you can't be doing any of this manually anymore i mean let's encrypt is fine for your your one-off server but at any any scale of any bit, you've got to automate it. You can't do it yourself anymore. Hell, you can't even understand it yourself anymore. And I'm hearing several different things um, maybe conflated there. Brennan, you said MTLS, and then we're saying certificates and issuing and et cetera. So let me try to break some of that out to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. Brennan, when you're saying MTLS, you're meaning... Mutual TLS. Yes. That's what we used to just call client certificate authentication. Whereas generally with TLS, we're talking about server authenticating itself to the client. This is client has a certificate and it uses that certificate to authenticate itself to the server as opposed to, or perhaps in addition to other forms of authentication like username, password, two-factor, etc. But for machine automation, it's extremely handy because there's no user interaction. 
just like using um, keys with SSH as opposed to uh, passwords. It lends itself well to automation. Um, and things like Acme and LicenseCrypt are very handy for for managing service certificates. I don't know that that's how you do client certificates, however. That's where I guess things like Istio or Microsoft Certificate Services built into AD or something in Red Hat Satellite, things like that. That's the PKI part because client cert authentication for people was a great idea back in the 90s, and it's a failure because we don't have good PKI for the world for people. PKI is but hard. It is. And like military does it, <laughs> the U.S. military, um, cat cards and things. But most people don't. They use other forms of authentication, not certificates. But for machine authentication and automated CA uh, provisioning, it can work well. Uh, so automating it, and so a new a new container spins up, it generates private keys, it creates a CSR, it pushes it at something, and it gets back a signed cert, it's client cert, and it uses that for all further authentication within your network. Is that what we're talking about, Brendan? Yes. So I was working... A former organization I was working with did MTLS to all of their instances. So in the instance, instance booted up, it was able to reach out to, I believe, their vault server, which was configured mm-hmm. to to bring the, the key material around and the certificate material around. And then you could get... Um, and Ken, you worked with me on this project, so you know parts of the, the stack here if I if I misspeak. You could configure your Terraform, um, the Terraform defined user data to, to, to say what you wanted to get out of the key service or out of, out of the, the MTLS service. And it would give you the appropriate certificate. It would give you signed with the, the correct names for the validity and duration that you needed. And then you could take that material and stick it into whatever application you were running or configuring. It was somewhat manual because it was done before some of the automation pieces, the the, the bigger like, projects where you can pay money to get somebody else to do it for you. And we use it to great effect. It, it functioned actually rather well once we got all of the, the pieces dialed in and talked to the team that was supporting it because, again, internal application. But I really liked the ability to say, I know that all of the connections coming into this particular set of machines only comes in from this other particular set of machines and all of the all the, that traffic is encrypted well and and if it doesn't you know it can be encrypted but the cert somebody's got a bad cert they don't get through it was a that was the the nice thing you not only had to worry you didn't have to worry about somebody sniffing you didn't have to worry about somebody even connecting i like the fact when when uh, configuration was was set up on disk, when those machines are booting, because I worked on some of that project as well, um, that you just templated in where your security keys go, and it was all automated away. And it's that level of automation that I'm kind of looking for as why we don't have as a better best practice so that we can you know, make it easier to use TLS internally in, in inside our backend networks. And you know, make TLS more adopted. In terms of 
I think you mentioned Vault um, there. Using HashCorp Vault or another commercial secret servers um, is a great way to handle keying materials. Uh, I've seen a lot of solutions, people storing keying material in shared file systems or some sort of version control system or a lot of places. Um, having your keying material, the private keys, etc., stored in something like Vault so you can manage and audit and access control, securely authenticate to that to get the keying material necessary to operate. I mean, the server is still going to have its client cert originally, and that's what it uses to authenticate, perhaps to Vault or something else, but to get other secrets that it may need to the public certificate and private key for your web server, things like that, or the database server. HashiCorp is a great company. <laughs> they make They've, a lot of cool things. They really are. I, I was very frustrated with the the Terraform configuration language initially because it didn't support a lot of the things that I wanted. But I also understand that they were moving at a very deliberate pace to not get themselves into trouble by creating features that weren't supportable and you, you not letting people build infrastructure that was going to be extraordinarily problematic. I mean, look, look at how Puppet metastatized, for, for lack of a better term, into what it became. And you can definitely blow your foot off with Puppet. Blow your foot off the Terraform, too. Mm. But that's another show. So, I don't know if it's covered enough about TLS. I mean, there's a lot to do. TLS 1.3 makes things much easier because you don't have many choices. Uh, so it's much easier to set up. The harder parts are probably automating the provisioning of that. But things like LeckenScript or Acme um, or Vault Solutions for provisioning client certificates for MTLS make that possible now. And as always, everything we say on this podcast, if you're using this information in a live production environment, validate what it is you're trying to do and what you think you thought you heard from us this is a great place to start thinking about these ideas, but we are by no means working for you in terms of securing your network. Don't rely solely on our advice ever. Please take the time to rate the show in Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows you've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm or send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. And I'm Jack Neely. And thank you for joining us, Darren. You're quite welcome. Thanks, and good night. Trust but validate. Trust but verify? Yeah. It's a Reagan thing, right? I'm that old. Yeah, so if, if you really want to know, there's like two years of RFC reading to get through to understand all this. So, right? Trust but verify? Yeah. And we've covered it in an hour and 15 minutes.